Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Let's, let's get to the text. Listen, why don't, why don't you meet me in 1 Kings chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read chapter 11 verses 37 and 38 and then we're going to skip over to chapter 12 and read verses 25 through uh, 30 and so uh, I'm going to read the odds you're going to read the evens and then we're going to read the last verse verse 30 of chapter 12 together y'all got that that's not confusing right y'all with me I got I got the odds y'all got what evens all right last verse what we gonna do read it together amen all right here here's the word of the Lord uh this is what The Lord said, I will appoint you and you will reign as king over all you want and you will be king over Israel. So Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And from there he went out and built Penel. If these people regularly go to offer sacrifices in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, the heart of these people will return to their Lord, King Rehoboam of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to the king of Judah. set one up in Bethel and put the other in Dan. Altogether, this led to sin. The people walked in procession before one of the calves all the way to Dan. Listen, as we consider, continue our uh, Breaking Barriers series, I want to talk from the topic this morning of making decisions rooted in fear. Making decisions rooted in fear. Let's pray. Father, uh, your name is awesome and you are good. Uh, Thank you that you do indeed break barriers in our lives. Thank you that we can look to you when we're bound for freedom. Uh, Your word says that it's for freedom that you have set us free. And so, Father, we pray that this would be one of those opportunities where we can come to your word and hear a word of truth, a word of hope, a word of encouragement, so that we might be even more convinced that we can trust in you. God, would you speak to us this day through your spirit and through your son, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated, making decisions rooted in fear. Listen, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but fear will make you do some crazy things. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, in elementary school, there was a program that I was in uh, called PATS. And PATS stood for Program for Academically and Talented Students. Yeah, your boy was smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yup, yeah, I, I was smart. See, my wife was hating because she told me in between gatherings she was in that program too, and I didn't say nothing about it, but we're not talking about her right now. Uh, <clears throat> and so, so what they would do is um, they would pick you up. If you, were, uh, if you excelled enough where you could get into the program, they would send a bus to your school to pick you up and then take you to another school one day a week to have additional classes, like accelerated uh, uh, classes. Now, I didn't realize that back then. I'm just realizing that as I'm saying this. I got suckered into doing extra work, like for nothing. Anyway, I, anyway. But, but they would take you to this new building, and you had these extra classes that you would do, uh, and you got report cards, you got grades for them. And so there was one class in particular. It was a, it was a reading class. Uh, I still remember the teacher's name. Sonny, and her name was Sonny Anderson. Uh, and... And in order to pass the class, you had to read books and then take a quiz once a week on the little computer. And if you passed, you would get a certain number of points. And at the end of the marking period, you had to have a certain amount of points in order to pass the class. Now, one of the great things was there was one book that you could read that was enough points to pass the class so you didn't have to read no more books the rest of the semester. It was called Moby Dick. And it was like this thick... You know what I'm saying? So it was, a, it was a long read for like a third grader. But I had determined in my heart that I didn't want to read a bunch of books. I wanted to read one book, get one grade, and be done for the marking period, right? Unfortunately, somebody had already checked out Moby Dick. And I couldn't get it at the library. And so I did what any smart student would do. They would take the test without having read the book, hoping they would pass. And that way, you ain't have to worry about it. So week after week... I took the quiz and I failed. And the end of the marking period got closer and closer and closer. And then the end of the marking period ended and I still had not read any other book or taken any other test and so I failed. Now, I don't know what kids today do, but back in the day when you got your report card, you had to take it home to get signed. And then you had to bring it back and give it to the teacher. Right? You see how they set you up back in the day? Like, that's trifling. But, but and, and so there was no way that I could take an F home to get signed by my parents without being in personal danger. <laughs> and so one morning uh, on the way to Pat's, I did what any, uh, you know, right-minded child would do. I signed my mom's name on the report card. Now we were on the bus, so it was a little sloppy because you know the bus ain't staying still. And so when I handed the report card to my teacher, uh, she looked at the signature and she asked me, you know, you know, what, what's up with this? Why is the signature so messy? And so I told her, you know, that somebody on my mom's side of the family passed away and she was crying while she signed the report card. Now, 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 I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't remember what her face looked like while I was speaking. But, but I'm pretty sure she was holding back laughter because of how stupid this lie was. But, but, but in the moment, I lied because I feared for my safety. In, in that moment of desperation, I knew that what I was doing would not benefit me in the future. But my desperation convinced me that it was my best option to secure self-preservation. 
Because fear makes us do crazy things. You know, I can empathize with Jeroboam in this text because I too have experienced feeling unsatisfied by what God has promised. And I've wrestled with the tension of choosing my plans over his. And there have been times where I've allowed uh, the fear of not having comfort or the fear of not having peace or the fear of not having prosperity lead me to decisions that have only exposed my selfishness and my appetite for self-preservation. So yes, I can empathize with Jeroboam because fear makes you do. Y'all heard me say it twice. Y'all know how black preachers preach. Can y'all jump into the sermon with me, please? Thank you. One person with repentance. The Lord, the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. Listen, as, as, a, as a consequence to Solomon's sin of following other gods, the Lord identifies Jeroboam as the man who will inherit the most of this divided kingdom. And as we read, uh, he tells him, God tells him very succinctly, if you obey me, I will be with you. But that's not all he says. He says, if you obey me, not only will I be with you, but I will build you a lasting dynasty just like I built for David. And, and not only that, but I will give you all of Israel. And so I can imagine Jeroboam hearing these words coming from the Lord and reflecting on how awesome a king David was and how much success and prosperity Israel experienced under his rule and the rule of his son Solomon. And, and, and this promise, what he was hearing from the Lord, should have given him a deep resolve to believe that God would come through on his word. And yet that's not what we see happen in the text. If I could just bring us to my first point, it's simply this. God's promises are greater than your personal insecurity. Look, look, look what it says in the text. It says, Jeremiah, Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. Then he went out and built Penuel. Uh, and, and it says, Jeroboam said to himself, the kingdom might now return to the house of David if they continue to go, if they regularly go to offer sacrifices in the Lord's temple all the way in Jerusalem. Now, now this term, house of David, is, is interesting because it has a significant meaning for the people of Israel. Uh, David was the one who captured Jerusalem, and it was in Jerusalem that Solomon built the Lord's temple. And so there was a significant association between the house of David, David and his lineage, and the city of Jerusalem, and the city's identity being tied to the worship of Yahweh there. And so in Jeroboam's mind, he has to seek to find a way to break the political influence that Jerusalem holds with the family of David without breaking the traditional ties that the people of Israel have to Yahweh as their God. And so he says, if these people continue to go to Jerusalem, then the heart of these people will turn from me and go to King Rehoboam of Judah. And because they'll love him and go back to him, the, the, what they'll do is they'll kill me and just return back to Judah. Now, now, essentially, if we boil down the concerns that Rehoboam has, then we can see that, that really where his fear comes from is simply a lack of faith. How, 
do we know this? Because surely the God who brought him to power and gave him power can also protect him from harm. If God pulled you out of nowhere and gave you something that you didn't earn on your own, then why would he not protect it for you instead of just letting somebody else take it from you? It, 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 you, you, know, you know, God had promised him a dynasty as enduring as David's dynasty if only he would just obey the Lord and keep his commandments. But for some reason, Jeroboam hears this promise come directly from God and finds that promise insufficient for how he feels in the now. Let me see if I can make it play. You ever been to the store and had a cart full of stuff? I'm not talking about like the little cart where you go to like the 10 and under checkout line, but like the full cart, like the full like two weeks, like pay period worth of groceries because you don't want to make multiple trips back to the store and you got to go to the line like with the cashier there. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you get up to the front and, you, and, and, they, and they swipe your card and it says insufficient funds. You, you ever been there? It's just, it's just, maybe it's just me. I, I, I thought most of us had experienced that before, but some of y'all might be blessed, blessed, right? Like, 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 but, but there's just something about, and they don't never like tell you it discreetly. They don't just never be like, hey, hey, your card was declined. They'd be like, hey, you ain't got no money on this card. What you, what you plan to pay with? And, and for some reason, it don't never just be you. There's always be a line of people behind you waiting. And now you got to think about how I'm going to pay for this. Do I leave the cart here? Like, what's going on? I know it's money on the account. I just checked this morning before I came. And so it, it, there's nothing worse than being caught in that scenario because you usually get embarrassed. And then that embarrassment leads to frustration. And that frustration turns into anger. Uh, and because of that insufficient message and how it makes me feel, I don't know about you, but how it makes me feel, I immediately begin to look to an alternative that can supply my immediate need. And so the question for us on the floor is what causes us to feel like what God is offering for our immediate needs is insufficient? Well, I, I know one of the big reasons is, is, is you know, we, we don't like uncertainty of the future. You know, not, not knowing what's going to happen around the corner is scary uh, for us. And, and, and we get in that uh, situation. And what, what happens? The same thing always happens. When we don't know what's going to happen in the future and we're afraid, we immediately contrive the worst case scenario. And then we make all of our decisions moving forward based on the worst case scenario of a situation that has not even begun to take shape yet. And we, we start making decisions trying to fix stuff that ain't even broken. Y'all laughing because y'all know it's true. But, but, I, but I, I know for me, there are times where I get impatient with God when I'm afraid of what I can't see coming and I want to plan for it and prepare for it. And my impatience uh, uh, and the alternatives that I create in my mind, for some reason, they always look more appealing than what God offered. Whatever plan I come up with, for some reason, always looks better than the plan God told me he was going to bring about. And as a result of that, I, 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 I try to wrestle away, at least theoretically, control from God so I can provide my own solutions. But look what he does. Look, look where, look where uh, Jeroboam goes. He says, when 
if the heart of these people turn and they, they go back to Rehoboam, this is only from visiting Jerusalem to worship. He, he says, if they go over there and worship God, the result of their worship is they're going to now try to kill me. Can you imagine that? That he says, they're going to go worship God. And the more that they go to Jerusalem to worship God, the more they're going to think about how they need to kill me. That don't even make sense. That the closer they get to God, the more they think about doing you harm. But, but, but this, is, this is where he goes. He, he, says, he says, if they go to Jerusalem, their hearts are going to turn and they're going to kill me. Now, now the interesting thing about that is that there was nothing natural about this turn of events. This was not an ordinary coup. Jeremiah did not, I mean, uh, Jeroboam did not raise up an army and overthrow Rehoboam by his own might and by his own power and by his own strength. And how do we know that? Well, if you look earlier in chapter 12 and verse 15, it says the king did not listen to the people because this turn of events came from the Lord. Down in verse 24 says, this is what the Lord says, don't march up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go back home for this situation is from me. And, and so uh, Jeroboam knows that he didn't do anything to conquer this nation. It was handed to him simply because God chose him to give it to. And yet his response to his fear is not let me consult God and ask God and tell God how I'm feeling and what to do about it. His first response is to fear that they're going to kill him and create a new scenario about how to move forward with his decision makings. And so we, we can ask the question, well, what, what was he for? Like, where, did his, where did his fear come from? Because it's, it's not like there was any indication from the text that the people were thinking in any way, shape or form what he's thinking about this situation. Well, well, it, it seems like Jeroboam's fear really stems from his insecurity, right? He looks across the street and sees his neighbor, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam comes from a line of kings. His grandfather is David, who was the greatest king in Israel's history, who conquered the land, conquered their enemies, uh, was beloved by the people, and then his dad, Solomon, uh, uh, created the most prosperous time during Israel's history. And, 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 so, and so Rehoboam is a Nepo baby, right? Y'all acting like y'all don't know what that means. I, I know y'all know what that means. I'm not even going to explain it, just Google. Uh, but but uh, Solomon, so Rehoboam comes along. He's king because his father was king, and his grandfather was king. Jeroboam don't come from that line. Jeroboam was a nobody. So he looks and he's like, I have to contend against a family line that already has a pre-existing relationship of trust based on their leadership, how they've led the country, the success that the people have had under this family's rule and their relationship with God from a worship perspective is in their territory. What can I even offer? And so when I look at Jeroboam, I, I, you know, I begin to ask the question, I'm like, well, 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 what does God offer us to stem the tide of fear that attempts to overwhelm us when we're in these types of situations? And, and listen, the answer is really simple. The application of the answer is not simple, but the answer is simple. But because what God offers us is him. 
And the reason that he offers us him is because he stakes everything on the consistent nature of his name. Now, now y'all, y'all, didn't, y'all, didn't, y'all didn't shout and get up and run uh, because I need to explain this a little further. Let me, let, me, let me see if I can say it like this. God's unchangeableness, yes, that's a word, uh, guarantees us that if he was once faithfulness, faithful, because he doesn't change, he'll always be faithful. His unchangeableness lets us know that if you've ever known him to be a promise keeper, because he doesn't change, he'll always be a promise keeper. And so, and so, so when we get into those situations, one of the things that has to root us so that we don't begin to run to our contrived narratives of what we expect to happen and, the, and, and how we want to problem solve on our own and not run to God. What has to root us is confidence in his character that he is who he says he is and he doesn't change. You know, there are times when fear overwhelms our hearts and begins to cloud our judgment. And in those moments, uh, uh, the most important or one of the most important decisions you can make is where you go for advice you 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 know why you know why because godly advice will move you towards commitment even if it's at the expense of convenience right look look at the text he says it says it says verse 28 so the king sought advice it says the king sought advice. Now, 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 that, that, that means he, that he, he gave thought to the matter or um, his, his decision was research. This was not a quick like, uh, decision. It wasn't like spur of the moment. He, he actually uh, was, took some time and was deliberate. And this is what he came up with, right? Like, like he took time to make the decision. And what we're about to see is the best decision that he, they could offer. Right. Like, so he says, he says that um, that the king sought advice and the advice that he received helped him to make this decision where he made two golden calves. And then he said to people, said to the people, going to Jerusalem is too difficult for you. So since going to Jerusalem is too difficult, I'm going to bring what's in Jerusalem that you're going to see to you because you're only going to Jerusalem so that you can worship God but I'm going to bring worship of God to you so you don't have to worry about making that journey because the listen Jewish men were required three times a year to make that trek from their home to the temple and so what right Jeroboam does is Jeroboam creates an issue in the minds of the people that had never been an issue before. They had been going down to Jerusalem year after year for generations, and nobody had an issue with it. But the minute that he said, I'll bring worship to you so you don't have to go, the people was cool with it. You know why? Because as people, we have a tendency to lean towards what's most comfortable and convenient, even if it's not right. And so he says, he says, hey, I mean, this statement is wild to me in, 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 verse, uh, in verse 28. He says, Israel, here are your gods. Now, now, that's just a wild statement in and of itself. But what he says after that is just like, 
It's crazy. He said, here are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, Jeroboam's decision might have been influenced because of the time that he spent in Egypt when he was running uh, from, from uh, Rehoboam, right? And, and, and Egypt was a place where there, it's a polytheistic culture. Uh, there would have been representation of a bull uh, that was commonly used to represent or support a god, or even he could have been influenced uh, by Canaanite culture and their worship of Baal. But in either case, what he does in making this decision is Jeroboam invites syncretistic practices into the worship community. And so he says, he says, I know we're supposed to worship God like this, but it's more convenient if we add some other stuff from some other cultures to help us be able to worship God better. Because the worship that God has called us to is not good enough. And so we got to add some stuff to it to make it better. And not only make it better, but make it more convenient for us. Because you already know, I, I mean, one, I don't feel like walking to Jerusalem three times a year anyway. And half the people I got to walk with, I don't like. You know how them, you know how the Israelites are. They all, like, they, they, they so, you know, they contradictory. They hypocrites. Like, they, I see how they live. We neighbors. And so I don't want to go to Jerusalem with these people and worship. I'm going to create my own worship the way that I like to worship. And I'm going to pick and choose the practices that I see that I want to include in my worship. And God better accept it. But it's wild. Not, not only does Jeroboam invite these syncretistic practices into the worshipful community, community, but it also seems like Jeroboam has a very poor memory of Israel's history. Because these very words... Here, O Israel, are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Were the exact words that Aaron said to the people in Exodus chapter 32 when they began to worship golden calves. And I could have swore. Now, I, you know, sometimes I make mistakes when I quote the Bible. But I could have swore God killed like 20,000 people in one day <laughs> after they did that. That's not something you forget about. So Je Jeroboam, there's no way in the world that Jeroboam is instituting these new practices and, and, and not remembering what had already taken place earlier in Israel's history. Now, 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 now Jeroboam, he makes these, these, uh, these calves. He puts one in Bethel. Uh, and one in Dan, which are the two opposite ends of uh, the kingdom. And he told people, instead of going to Jerusalem, just it, go to whichever one is closer. Either go to Bethel or go to uh, Dan rather than traveling to Jerusalem. And, 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 and he does that so that the Israelites could find a sense of fulfillment going through similar forms of worship, though they were being disobedient to God. Let, let, let me see if I can make it plain with this statement. It's possible to construct worship practices that merely serve to support your life of disobedience. Jeroboam knew the prohibitions against idolatry. Matter of fact, when God told him he was going to make him king, he told him the reason why 
he was taking the kingdom from Solomon. He says specifically, if you were to look at uh, verse 33, he says, the reason I'm taking the kingdom from Solomon is because of his worship of all of these false idols, all of these false gods. And so it seems probable then that Jeroboam's compromises were deliberate. They were deliberate because what he was seeking to do was simply manipulate the people so he could retain power. And I just couldn't help but thinking about my own life and my relationship to God and his promises and ask myself, how is it that the fear of losing something could cause me to turn my back on the one who gave it to me in the first place? Do you know, the, you know, the great news is, is that our fear doesn't have to lead us to alienating God. Rather, it just provides us an opportunity for building greater intimacy. Right? Like, last point, I'm out your way. God-ordained worship will lead you to deeper trust and deeper satisfaction in him. Look at what verse 31 says. It said, Jeroboam, li- listen, listen to the language here. Jeroboam made shrines on the high places he made priests from the ranks of people who were not levites jeroboam made a festival on the eighth month in the 15th day of the month like the one in judah he offered sacrifices on the altar he made uh, this offering in bethel to sacrifice to the calves he made he also stationed the priests in bethel for the high places he made he offered sacrifices on the altar he had set up in bethel On the 15th day of the month, he chose this month on his own. He made a festival for the Israelites and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. And so Jeroboam, he makes these shrines in these high places, which was an acknowledgement of the people's desire for greater local autonomy, meaning that they wanted to be able to worship as much as they pleased so that they or so that they could worship as much as they please so that they would feel less of a longing to worship the way God had told them to and then he kicks out the levites who were the only ones commanded to be able to keep the temple and offer sacrifices and he institutes anybody and everybody who wants to be in that role and the reason is because the levites weren't loyal to him they were loyal to God and so by appointing non-levitical priesthood he could ensure that his new policies would be carried out without question. But notice in these three verses, on eight different occasions, the Bible says, Jeroboam made, Jeroboam made, Jeroboam made, Jeroboam chose. it's, it's, It's at no point in time did Jeroboam even attempt to consult God. Number one, he didn't consult God with his fear. Could you imagine if he just would have went to God in the beginning and said, God, I'm scared, and I don't know what to do. God, I'm afraid of these things. I I heard the promise that you gave, but I don't know what that's going to look like. What happens if the people change their minds? How do your promises go into effect when people don't want to obey what you told me would happen? Can you imagine what would have happened if he just would have been honest with God about how he was feeling? But not, not only that, but... But at no point in time does he consult God on whether the alternative he's created is even an acceptable form of worship to God. He's never even asked God, like, God, is doing it this way okay? Like, are you cool with this? 
Or you got another idea. What can we do to make worship more convenient for people so they don't got to go to Jerusalem? Let me, let me see if I can make it, put, make, make it plain like this. You know, I got, I got four kids. Uh, my, my older two girls, you know, they, they're a little older now. But when they were younger, they loved to play restaurant. And so they would set up their room with their little tables and chairs, and they would put their little plates on the table and all that little fake plastic food uh, on, on the table and stuff. And they would, they would sit me down. Uh, on the floor, because their, their chairs were too small, you know, I'm a big guy, but uh, they would sit me on the floor, and they would act like wait, waitresses, right, and so they would come up with me, come up to me, they would have their little pads and their little paper, they can't even write yet, but they would have their pads and paper, and, and they would ask me if they could take my order, and, and, and I, you know, they, 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 hey, hey what, what would you like to eat? I want pancakes, and after a long time, they eventually would come back, I don't know why their service was always so terrible. <laughs> but, but after a long time, they would come back, and they would usually bring me something that didn't look like pancakes. I've been kicked out of their restaurant a number of times for arguing with the manager. But for some reason, whenever I asked them why my order was wrong, they would get real indignant. And they would always say the same thing to me. They would say, this is what I want you to have. <laughs> so, so, so very early on, I learned an important lesson. Little kids don't always care what you ask for. They'll give you what they want you to have. See, we have to be careful of treating our worship of God as something we can shift and manipulate into being more about what we want than what God has asked for, and better yet, what he deserves. And so here, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Our worship of God doesn't have to be monolithic, but it does have to be submissive. Submissive to what, Pastor Gert? Submissive to what he's already outlined in his word, meaning that, God has given us freedom in our expression or in the expression of our worship practices so long as that freedom doesn't seek to confuse worship to him with worship to someone or something else. And so the real question of this text that I think we have to wrestle with is what is on the other side of fear? And I, 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 would, I would say that it depends on whether you're with God or not. And better yet, whether he with you. But we've seen what happens to a man, to a person who abandons God so he can conquer fear on his own. But, but, but when you're with God, there are some things on the other side of fear that don't always make sense. That's why the psalmist can write, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's why Moses can remind the people, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you 
or forsake you. That's why God can command the people through Isaiah, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's why Paul can write, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and sound judgment. Or what about when the righteous cry for help? The Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. Lest we forget, and those who know your name put your trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Yes, there are a lot of things on the other side of fear. Become hell or high water. If you're with him, then everything will be all right. And I know somebody's probably in here asking themselves, well, Pastor Kurt, how can you tell me right now on the front end? that everything will be all right. And I can say that because I'm not staking what I'm saying on my reputation or on anything that I can offer you right now. But, but I would say if you could hear the words that Joshua talks about when he references his experience with this promise-keeping God, he says this, and if you don't take anything else home with you, I want you to put this in your back pocket so you can pull it out on a rainy day. Joshua says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to Israel failed. He, he says, everything, everything, everything that the Lord promised came to pass. And so it, it doesn't matter necessarily what's on the other side of fear. Because if you're with him, I can promise you, because he's an unchangeable God, as long as you root yourself in him and his word, he will make sure that everything's all right. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful because we know that you are a God who keeps his promises. No matter how many times we experience being let down on this side of eternity by other people, Help us to be resolved to know that you are not like anybody else that we know. That when you say you'll do something, that you've done it. That there has never been a time where your promises have failed. Everything that you said you would do, you've done. God, I pray that we would have confidence to believe that that is true. And that when we're in seasons where we're afraid because we don't know what's going on or we do know what's happening and can't do anything about it, might we have the strength to entrust ourselves to you rather than entrust ourselves to ourselves. And so, Father, I pray you would encourage your people today. Help them to see you as someone who's trustworthy and 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 worthy enough to handle their concerns and their fears and their problems because you are and you've proven yourself time and time again you even invite us oh God when you say taste us and see taste the Lord and see that he is good and so Father I pray that we would experience that from you and that our experience with you would help us to be able to testify to others of your goodness and your love and your mercy and your kindness and so God we just say thank you we say thank you. We say thank you. It's, the name of your, it's in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we do pray. If you agree, that say amen.
amen and amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.